Hello and welcome to the Q York podcast. It's great to have you with us today and we hope that as you listen, you'll be inspired as we continue on our shared quest together. This podcast is entirely free and yet it's not cheap to put together and wouldn't be possible without the generosity of our supporters. So if you consider yourself a supporter of Q, then please head to qyork.co.uk and hit donate to show your support today because there really is no Q without you. Thank you and enjoy today's message. Echo what Chris said, thanks so much for the kindness of putting together um, last week and uh, making us feel loved. We much, much appreciate that. Um, you only have to look at um, the epic story of the children of Israel and their journey from captivity in Egypt, which you can read in the book of Exodus and learn all about the difficulties and the restrictions that was that, an image of what it means to be in a place of bondage that you never intended to be there, but you stayed too long in a place that you should have left years ago. And it's only when you look at something like that that... um, that journey from slavery to freedom, which of course this, these videos we've got today are part of that, to appreciate the difficulty of accomplishing that journey with a large group of people. So this would be a lot easier what we're trying to do if it was just me, or if it was just Chris, or if it was just me or Chris and just a few more. But you have the issue of many people with different stories and different personality types, and we're all trying to move somewhere. It's been rightly said, and take this on board, it took three days to get the children of Israel out of Egypt, but it took 40 years to get Egypt out of the children of Israel. So you can be touched, you can be excited by something that walks you out of a place you've been, a bondage, a history, a situation, But that does not mean that that has come out of you. And that's part of our journey. We don't just want to get you out of the bondage of common narrative religion. We want to get common narrative religion out of you. And that's that's the difficulty. So on this first weekend of my 31st year of leading this church, I want to talk a bit about what it costs to bring change. Chris could tell you and I could tell you that every 30th anniversary of whatever, 30 years age, 30 years from our first real significant prophetic journey and so on, every one of those has marked a new beginning. So I'm I'm hanging on to the fact that therefore if, if things go as they have gone in my life, what began this week after our 30th is a new beginning. And I, I have lost some confidence over the years, but I'm learning to try and trust the inner calling that I have because I've always had the ability to see what matters and try and draw attention to it. Um, it's the way of prophets. Now, I know we associate prophets with either loonies or history, but being prophetic means you see what others are not seeing when they can't see it in order to hopefully make them aware of what it is they cannot see. And uh, this has been very useful over the years. In many ways, I could give you lots of story. I mean, I could really upset Jenny. 
Because when I, when I was in school many years ago, and doing what were then my GCEs, which are now GCSEs, um, I got an A star in English language. I, I in the score, got 98%. 98%. But I never read right through any of the novels, any of the poems, or any of the plays. You say, well, what, how did you do that? Something inside me focused me in that I could tell you what questions they were going to ask. So I only read the bits that were relevant to the questions that I just knew they would ask. And I was right. I was right. Now you might say that's a form of cheating. But, and I wouldn't even say, oh, it was God who helped me in the exam. I would just say, it's just who I am that has this inner thing that does that. And so, and so I've got to have the confidence to say, look, we see things, I see things, and I want to draw attention to some things that you may not see. And in doing that, you may feel that what I am doing is extremely negative, but what it's doing is giving a purpose to something, and I want to follow that through this morning. Now, someone once said that about every 500 years, the church has to have a car boot sale. And I'm not going to talk about all the history of that, uh, but it seems to be true. Now, what happens when you have a car boot sale, or for my American friends, a yard sale, is it's when you go through all the stuff that you've accumulated and realize how much of it is no longer relevant, necessary, or needed. And then you take it along and you sell it to some poor soul who's then taking on your cast-offs and rubbish but I'm sure they want it. Well, I believe in that in the essence of a new kind of Christianity. There has to be a car boot sale in the church. There has to be a car boot sale in the, re in the context of our belief and journey and faith. You can't just go through life having had an experience without having a car boot sale and saying, right, these are the things that did mean something and were very important but are now no longer relevant to where we are in life and where we are on the journey. So I want to bring you to something today that's been nagging at my heart since a conversation with a friend a few weeks ago. That something is the role and the power of the negative in the process of change. You know, we think, well, I just don't want to call it out. I don't, I don't want to be where the negative is. And, and I agree, this is not anti-positive, but this is saying there is a point here that we need to take hold of if we want to participate in and experience real change even in our own lives. See, we, we live in a world and culture which is expressing the desire to not be made to feel uncomfortable or unsafe. And it's now being pressed in our institutions of learning. Don't make me uncomfortable. Don't make me unsafe. How many of you know that's going to lead to a very unhealthy generation? You know, it's, I should only be fed with that which I agree and that which is positive for me. I should only be encouraged to go where I want to go. Not challenged to go where I need to go. Someone once said a leader is not someone who takes you where you want to go. A leader is someone who takes you where you need to go. Which is a very different thing. See, the truth is without a complaint, 
there is rarely a cause. Every cause is the result of a complaint. And in the Bible, there is a, a group of books called the Minor Prophets. Now, they didn't call themselves Minor Prophets, and I'm not sure they would appreciate being designated in the construct of everything that's there as Minor Prophets. You know, they were not minor as in M-I-N-E-R, coal miners, gold miners, silver miners, prophets. And I don't think there were certainly minor in the context of as opposed to major. It's just their books were a little shorter. And so somebody called them minor. Isn't it interesting? They said less, so they were considered less important. But maybe sometimes saying less is more. But these minor prophets, they are obsessed with a complaint, each one of them. A complaint about how people see God. A complaint about how people are reacting, what they are being. It, it's, I wouldn't say it's a great read, or they're a great read. But it's interesting that where the complaint fits in, in the context of the cause. Now, there are three ways of looking at everything. Nostalgic, romantic realistic. Those are the three ways that we look at everything. And that, that really, um, nostalgia is the comfort that's felt from edited memories. You do understand that your nostalgia does not replay actually what happened. Nostalgia and the brain, it moves out of the picture all the things that we don't like or don't wish to have, and then it feeds back the film, which is an edited version of reality. And that's nostalgia. Romantic is the viewpoint created by fantasy and imagination. So what romantic view of world is, is that we, we fantasize and we imagine, and then we approach life in that fantasical imagination, and that's what romantic is. I think far too much of certainly the evangelical world has a romantic view of Jesus, not a real one. Now, realistic is the condition of living in the now. And there's nothing more challenging than living in the now. We'd much rather live in the nostalgia of the good old days. We'd much rather live in the romanticism of the fantasy and imagination. Or we'd like to live in, well, you know, things will be better. Realistic is the condition of living in the now. It's the difference between I was, I would like to be, and I am. In the Bible, God called himself, I am. Jesus regularly used the phrase, I am. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Because living in the now brings you to the power of the I am. And believe it or not, that's where your greatest power lies and why so many don't have that power because we don't live in the now. We don't know how to deal with the now. So it's never a I am. It's I would like to be. I hope. I remember. See, these attach to our three most dominant brain functions, which are survival, belonging, and meaning. The toughest of all being meaning, which is why most people settle for the first two, survival and belonging. Just as the toughest of that is meaning, the toughest of the other three is realistic. So being realistic 
and searching for meaning are the two difficult ones. Because meaning plays havoc with comfort and confidence before it brings peace. Realistic plays havoc with the ego. So we try to avoid them both. Now I know some of you will be saying, but I don't think I'm driven by ego, said the ego. So survival and belonging, nostalgic and romantic, are coping mechanisms. And I understand why we use them. The search for meaning and facing reality are the only ones that bring lasting rest to the soul. If only you're willing to go the distance. So on the 1st of December 1955, Rosa Louise Macaulay Parks could have just moved from the seat where she'd chosen to sit on the bus and avoided the problem created by that act of defiance against what was the law at that time in the southern states of America. Now when she did what she did, you heard the opposition from the people of her own race on the bus. Why was she being so negative? What was wrong with her? Why couldn't she just comply with the pattern that had been in place for 300 years of slavery? They didn't want trouble. They didn't want her to stir up trouble. Why couldn't she just accept things as they were? They just wanted to get home. They were willing to be silently compliant. Interesting that the only difference between compliant and complaint is where the eye sits. And the difference Rosa Parks made was where the eye sits. And so it moved it from compliant to complaint. And now we had a hope that ultimately turned out to be a major voice in destroying and getting rid of segregation in the South of America and bringing about the Civil Rights Act. They saw what Rosa was doing that day as a negative, not a positive. It was pressuring them. They viewed what she said as a big negative in a difficult situation. But what about when the most positive thing you can do in a situation is to be negative? Have you thought about that? If you take a long, hard look at life, it's the power of the negative that usually becomes the catalyst for change. It's never bombarding with positive that becomes a catalyst for change. It's usually the power of the negative that becomes the catalyst for change. Don't ignore them. Use them. It's breaking the mold of compliance and taking a seat on the bus in any and every situation when and where others think you shouldn't. That's what we have chosen to do at Q. Sometimes you've just got to take your seat on the bus and refuse to move. People will tell you throughout your life, to have the courage of your convictions. Which is okay with them until you do. And that's where the problem comes because we love the idea but the issue is once conviction comes 
a cause is going to arise and the cause is going to arise from a complaint and the complaint is going to arise from the negative and then we get very uncomfortable because we say, have the courage of your convictions until somebody does. But I want you to understand today that if you wish to pursue this reality, then you must truly understand what conviction is. A conviction is not something you hold. People will tell you, I hold a conviction about that. No, you don't. You hold a belief. You hold a preference. You hold a bias. You see, the issue is a conviction is not something you hold. It's something that holds you. So you can't not react to what the conviction is telling you on the inside. So much of what we call conviction is no more than a leaning towards, an inclination about. But when a conviction really comes, that conviction holds you. And then you have no alternative but to respond. Rosa Parks did not hold a conviction about civil rights. The rights of her brothers and sisters. No, she didn't hold a conviction. A conviction held her. And because of that, it's like she couldn't help but point out what was a problem. Now, you need to understand, none of that was about the bus. And it's never about the bus. It's never about the thing that you highlight negatively. It's always about the bigger issue that the bus is indicative of, but if you focus just on the seat on the bus, you miss the point. So when you really are honestly powerfully negative, it's because you have seen something beyond the seat in the bus, and taking the seat in the bus and refusing to move is just a way of saying, I see beyond this, and if I don't sit now, we are getting into a situation that we may never be able to change. Rosa's husband, Rosa Parks' husband, said, Life is about facing danger, my friends. It's about taking risks. We have to stand up for what's right, even if we have to put our lives on the line. That was before he was challenged to take risks, face danger, and put his life on the line. And we can all sit here and say, I'm with it, I'm in it, I'm for it, let's go do it. You know, we've gotta, we, we, we're going to take risks, we're going to stand up for what's right, we're going to put our lives on the line. But what happens when we're actually challenged to take risks, face danger, and put our life on the line? And then there's this powerful, powerful statement he makes when Rosa says to her husband, let, let me be active in this situation. You know, I'll be careful, I'll be really careful. And Rosa's husband, which is so powerful, said, you can't be careful and effective. And I want to put that on you today. You can't be careful and effective. You can be considerate, yes, and should be. You can be kind, yes, and should be. But careful, no. Once we become too careful, we become ineffective. Because being effective naturally brings into it a thing of you cannot be careful. 
We fear what taking a negative approach may create for us. But without it, there is no challenge. And without challenge, there is no change. Now, I want to teach you something. Negative is not the same as negativity. See, the power of the negative is a great tool in the quest for meaning. Because it recognizes the elements that need to be challenged for change. Negativity is not a great tool in the quest for meaning. You see, negativity focuses on moaning. Using a negative to bring change focuses on meaning. So I'm not inviting you to be a place of negativity because that would be where some of you already are. It wouldn't help. The place of moaning. But when we use the negative correctly, it brings us to a place of meaning. So rather than quote a lot of Bible verses, let me give you some things that you personally will know. I know our American friends a little different for you, but you'll have your own examples. So for example, 10 million children in the UK will not go hungry today. 1.7 million will. But isn't that just focusing on the negative? Shouldn't we be saying the positive? 10 million children will not go hungry today. 13,377 people were not killed or injured in the bombing at the Ariana Grande concert in Manchester Arena. But 23 died. And more than 800 were injured. But isn't that just focusing on the negative? More than 30,000 people didn't die in the 1989 Hillsborough Stadium disaster. But 96 people did. And many others were injured. But isn't that just focusing on the negative? See, if we only looked at and pointed out the negatives, what would that have meant for Marcus Rashford's campaign? And notice he didn't mention the 10 million kids, or well-fed, and rightly so, because the negative was needed to draw attention to the problem that needs to be fixed. Do you understand what I'm saying? What would it mean to the grieving families of Manchester Arena bombing? If you didn't mention the dead and the injured, what would it mean for the 96 at Hillsborough? And there's a fight that's gone on for justice which has taken 30 years to resolve. Why? Because somebody didn't look at the 30,000 that didn't die. Somebody said these 96 were precious. They saw something beyond for families and for hope. And so the reason is some of you know I can be a little negative about some things. Why am I negative? Because I'm trying to point out something that's more than the bus. It goes beyond the problem and trying to draw attention so that hopefully we can be and see the change that we want. It's not about the bus. It's about what the bus represents. The bus, whatever is whatever symbolizes that which represents a much deeper problem to be faced. But the bus is important because otherwise we won't face the deeper problem. Yeah. I know some of the things I've had to say today are a bit negative. But sometimes it's necessary to draw attention 
to one of the essential ingredients of being successful in life. And it takes time. It was almost a hundred years when Rosa Parks sat on that bus. It was almost a hundred years from the declaration of emancipation of the slaves. And it would be another ten years after Rosa Parks sat on the bus before the repealing of all the acts that had been put in place to cause segregation of blacks, Asian, coloreds and whites. Another ten years after she sat on the bus. But what she was doing was because she saw something ahead. She saw something up front. One of my great heroes is Dr. Martin Luther King. Because he saw what could come. What's also interesting is Dr. Martin Luther King in all his issues about segregation and the mistreatment of the black community in America put everything in the, ban in, in the basket of saying, but if we do it without forgiveness, we will never succeed. We must forgive them and they must forgive us. There must be forgiveness if we are going to move ahead. So in some ways I apologize for not you know, it being a happy clappy, but um, I, hope, I hope it's bringing something home to you that will make you comfortable with our negative and your negative to realize that that can be productive because it's bringing up a complaint that can lead to a cause. Then this last little clip of the video, uh, the young man being what young men are, you know, I certainly knew more than... I do now when I was 21. At least that's what I tell myself. The young man thought it wasn't working and was just a created inconvenience because what ensued out of, out of Rosa sitting on the bus was they, they, they did a, um, a boycott, a bus boycott. We're not going to sit on the bus. How many of you know if you need the bus and people travel by the bus and you do a bus boycott... That's not very comfortable, but sometimes discomfort, as Chris said at the beginning, is essential if we are truly going to pursue a righteous cause. Like Chris said at the beginning, it's impossible to change the future without disturbing the present. So we've had to create some discomfort, we have some discomfort, but it's necessary if we are going to change the future. Then, of course, you get the young man saying, this protest ain't doing nothing. Jiving people into thinking something's going to change. Ain't nothing going to change. And that's why we maintain the status quo. Because we can think nothing's going to really change in my life, in, in, in the organization, in the church, whatever, in the family. But somebody had to do something, was the reply. And I love the old man because the, there are some ways of saying things that anybody who is not old and black can't do. Now, I say that with the greatest of honor because one of my dearest friends in America is old and black. And dear old JL, I have sat for hours with him talking about his history and his family. He comes directly from slave stock. He's, a, he's just a wealth of information and feeling, just the most beautiful man. He's not bitter. He hasn't got a chip on his shoulder. But it's good to educate oneself with the reality of someone's journey. And that's what the old man in the picture here is trying to say. Look, I've walked a journey. 
I've walked a journey. You know, I'm tired. And believe it or not, I'm an old man now. I'm 65. I've walked a journey. The beard's gone from ginger to white. The hair's moving that way. I've walked a journey. And like that old man, sometimes I feel weary and sometimes I feel tired. But I know because of the journey I've walked that this is a worthy cause. And he said the old man got what she was saying on the bus. He got it. I know what she's saying. And he knew, he knew she wasn't saying, let me have a seat in the bus where I shouldn't sit. He knew what she was saying was a negative that would release a complaint that would produce a cause that would finish up in change. He got what she was saying on the bus and he understood it's not about the bus. And some of my complaints are not about the thing I'm complaining about. That's the bus. They're about the other things that that leads to, the other things that that means. And sometimes you may not understand like the young boy didn't understand. But I get what she's saying. And I hope some of you get what we're saying. And so then, of course, Rosa has the conversation with her husband. And uh, he says if he'd have known what that would mean... Would he have still wanted to marry Rosa? Would he want to stay? And every one of us goes through those emotions whenever something's being stirred, and particularly if what's being stirred seems to be negative in the context of producing something that makes us less secure and less confident and less at ease. And he had a choice. The question was, are you willing to stay married to the wife that won't settle for the status quo? Are you willing to stay married to the church that won't settle for the status quo? Are you willing to stay married to a leader that won't settle for the status quo? To quote the Apostle Paul, he said, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now, I've heard that preached from all kinds of ridiculous angles. What he was really saying was, in the situation, in the circumstances, with the negative, I understand its place, and so I've learned to be content with that because I know it's going somewhere. And as I said to you last week, I do not wish to participate in a culture where inconvenient truths are carefully hidden to protect some individual or group's self-interest. I want to bring faith to the faithless, but I also want to bring doubt to the faithful. Only then can what sometimes may be painful truths lead to hopeful possibilities. And so let me finish here. There's another verse in the Bible I was raised with that said, we know that all things are working together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, we also manipulated that to make it, these are the ones who are in, tick the box. But I think it's wider and bigger than that because we are loved by God and there is a purpose at work and there is a goal and, and all things are working together if we can believe it. And Rosa believe we can, be a, we can be a catalyst for the working together of all things. There's another phrase to do that which is not Bible but it's really good and should be there. And Chris quoted this to me this week. I have learned how to alchemize 
the things that happened to me. How many of you have read the book, The Alchemist? It's a very famous, popular book a few decades ago. And an alchemist was somebody in history who they believed could turn anything to gold. And so I have learned how to alchemize the things that happened to me. Turning them to gold because all things work together for good and we don't need to be afraid of the negative because the negative draws our attention to something much bigger than the thing that it's doing at the moment so that ultimately we might see a powerful change. So, like this last song says, now having got a little wear under my shoes, seen a lot, been a lot of places, done a lot of things, experienced a lot, I know where I'm going because I know where I've been. And I want you to come along on that journey. Thanks for listening to another Q York podcast. If you've been inspired by what you've heard today, then why not email us at info at qyork.co.uk and let us know who you are and where you're listening from. We love that you're listening to us and we'd love to hear from you too. Did you know you can also watch all of the talks from Q on our YouTube channel? Just go to youtube.com forward slash Q Church York. We look forward to having you with us again soon. Until then, enjoy the quest.